Nothing on this podcast is intended as legal advice nor does it create an attorney-client relationship. Please be advised that this podcast also contains spoilers and swears. Hello, welcome to Murder, She Woke, a podcast about cougars, gender role reversals, and personality disorders. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm your other host, Elizabeth. So I feel like we kind of misled you in the last episode, saying that we would be back in a week. Clearly, we have not been. Well, you have had an adventure in the meantime with a very special friend at the pod. So if you want to kind of tell us about that, that would be super fun. And I can live vicariously through you. So last weekend, I went to my best friend's house and our other best friend, Katie, met us there. You will know Katie because Katie introduced me and Elizabeth. And without Katie, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. That's right. Katie is the honorary third host of the pod. And with any luck and cajoling and bribery, we will actually get her to make an appearance on said pod at some point in the future. Though I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do that. Okay, well, I was gonna have her on and she could explain to everyone all the things that we got wrong about criminal law and criminal procedure. See, yeah, because Katie has something that neither Laura nor I have, which is a background and working knowledge of criminal law. Whereas all my criminal law is derived from one semester in law school and law and order. Hers is from real life experience. (laughs) Yeah, I do have a little bit of criminal law experience, but not, not uh, just enough to be dangerous (laughs) enough to get me arrested. I have enough to say, don't, don't say anything to the cops. And that's, that's basically the extent of my criminal law knowledge is don't say anything to the cops and shut up. Yeah. Very good working knowledge. Do you want to talk about this week's episode? It is season one, episode seven. It is entitled Lovers and Other Killers. Ooh, scandalous. We start off this episode in what I initially thought was a dark office, but it turns out it's just somebody's very large fan fancy bedroom. Mm-hmm. And there is a a person, presumably a burglar of some kind, with a flashlight, and he is going through drawers, and he he finds a safe, and he's he's going through the safe. And we cut to what appears to be an old lady who is wearing is is she is that a bathrobe? I thought it was a fur coat that she was. Wearing. Oh, it looks like a some kind of silk evening gown. No, she was wearing something over it because she was wearing a silk evening gown, but it also kind of looked like a nightgown. Oh, did she drop it? It fell off of her? Yeah, it fell off of her at the beginning. I thought it was a fur coat and a silky, like fancy ass nightgown. And she was wearing this really long string of pearls Mm -hmm. and she was kind of weaving back and forth. And as she's swaying around she picks up this fancy old phone and then you can see on the table with the same 
with the fancy telephone is some pictures of a handsome, and I put handsome in quotation marks because I think that's what they were going for, but I'm not sure it quite translated <laughs> into not 80s. And then she has a picture of her with said handsome man. Which I presumed but, at the time was her grandson. Yes, except they look a little cozy for <laughs> for grandparent, grandma and grandson. Though I I am not I'm not here to judge. I am just here to well actually I am here to judge. So yeah. <laughs> she's just kind of hanging out and she's looking around and she notices that her stuff has been rummaged. And apparently this is distressing for her, and she's still kind of stumbling around. And she leans over or she gets on the floor to pick up this music box and then she starts singing along with the music box except Mm -hmm. it's not a song it's just (laughs) a tune so in the meantime we see some spooky feet someone sneaking up behind her and then she looks up there's a ski mask and then all of a sudden he chokes her to death with her giant ash string of pearls Well, what's funny is when she turns around and notices the burglar, she gets visually angry and she stands up. She's about to confront this person that's burglaring her. She obviously didn't think through it very well because as as soon as she stands up, he does choke her with her own pearls. The next scene, we see a plane land in Seattle and then Jessica is is getting off the plane but but no but she's not off the plane yet we We see we see uh a uh, handsome older gentleman on a payphone we're at the airport and there's a handsome old gent he's on a payphone and he's clearly waiting for jess and he's wondering where she is and all of a sudden he says something to the effect of oh i see her now amelia assuming at this point that amelia is his secretary or his assistant or whatever so i think that's things are already weird but they just kind of start getting weirder so it's super surprising and confusing because Jessica is coming off the escalator and she's holding a, and then this handsome gray haired gentleman says something, something to the effect of, oh, you mentioned you were going to bring someone, but I had no idea that this is what you were talking about. And Jessica does her Jessica laugh, ha ha ha, little chuckle. And, and then a couple of nuns pass by and she hands the baby back to the nuns. In Chinese. And apparently they have an exchange where she appears to maybe not be fluent, but at least be comfortable with the language. And then she just hands the baby back to them and she came out a full couple minutes ahead of them are you literally gonna hand a baby to a strange lady on a plane and let her out of your sight <laughs> it was the I 80s mean, man it was stranger danger that's when all that stuff started happening yeah. like that's when you needed to know where your kids were you don't give a baby presumably and this is all me assuming things the nuns were bringing the baby to seattle i don't know adopted, adopted. or something yeah so, it was a weird little addition that really had nothing to do with the plot or the storyline I think my my thought about that was that maybe they were trying to show how like diverse and interesting Seattle was and maybe they were trying to be representative of a community which makes sense or maybe they just wanted to show off that she knew Chinese I don't yeah. know 
But then a typical man who hasn't been paying attention and who is equating all Asian cultures and languages, this gentleman who I've nicknamed Dr. Edmund, he is the dean of a university. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Edmund says sayonara to the Chinese nuns and just says, yeah, wrong language, bro. And <laughs> I kind of equated that as when people, mostly white people, will just refer to someone as as Mexican, Mm. regardless of where they're actually from. We find out through exposition that Jessica is in Seattle to give a series of university lectures at the university of which Dr. Edmund is the Dean of Students. And she, despite being, I guess, an international celebrity at this point, he says something that to the effect of, we're lucky to have somebody basically of your caliber give a lecture. They go back to to, uh, Professor or Dr. Edmund's office, who we meet his secretary, Amelia, who obviously is stupid in love with him. And we can all see that because to the actress's credit, she does a really good job of being in love with this guy he seems like he just has no idea what's going on which is pretty typical we see her she's she's paying his bills his his personal credit card bills and it makes a comment about his frivolous spending and he replies there she goes acting like my wife again and then it gets kind of awkward because amelia the secretary wants to be his wife and and dr Edmund doesn't know anything about this, but then Jessica can see what's going on and it's just kind of awkward. She's talking to uh, Dr. Edmund about how they know each other. And apparently this guy was her husband's frat brother, mm-hmm. Kappa Gamma Chi, which I don't know is that's a real, I'm sure it's a real fraternity somewhere. And uh, they all knew each other in college. And there was a joke about, haha, you picked the wrong one. They're old college buddies, and I guess she used to go to parties at the frat house or whatever. Could you imagine Jessica Fletcher doing a keg stand? Actually, I think I probably (laughs) could, because if you watch her, if you watch Angela Lansbury and any of her older stuff, she, whenever she was young, she was a pistol man. I bet she kicked Dr. Edmund's ass in beer pong. I would love to see two frat boys holding her over the keg stand upside down. Anybody who wants to fund a show that shows <laughs> Jessica in college, I I will sign on to be a writer slash producer slash creative <laughs> director. But if anybody has any connections, just let us know. <laughs> but anyway, so while they're out there talking, Jess straight up spills the beans on Amelia. And she's like, oh, you know, she's in love with you, right? And normally I have absolutely no problem with anything Jessica does ever because she's perfect. That's that's kind of kind of lame you think so I mean I think she was trying to kind of help the situation along because I mean we know just from the two minutes that we've seen Dr. Edmund on screen that he's pretty oblivious isn't it Amelia's right to tell her yeah yeah that is true so also in that scene we learn that while jessica is there doing her visiting lectures she's going to need a secretary to help her because she's going to continue writing her books and amelia 
volunteers to put kind of, I guess, the ad out for the students advertising this position. And that's important for the next scene because it's it's later that evening. Jess, Jessica's in her hotel room. She appears to be in kind of a bathrobe or something. And she comes out of the bathroom and there's a knock on the door. And she she opens the door a little bit with the chainsaw on the door. And it's this kind of young, handsome guy. He introduces himself as David Tolliver. He's from the university and he's here for the job and he wants to come in. Jessica, with any sense, says no, like any person would do. But she's she's obviously taken aback, a I guess, because she was probably expecting a female. And here she has an attractive young man asking for the job. Well, uh, I don't think she was expecting anybody at this point because it's nighttime and he, whenever he barges his way in, he's tracked her down to her hotel. She, she is reticent because she, she says she had never worked with a secretary before and that she was kind of preferring an older woman. And so instead of doing the normal human thing, which would be saying, I'm sorry for barging into your hotel room in the middle of the night and being the most aggressive person on earth. I understand. I'm going to go and think about what I've done. <laughs> he instead decides to accuse her of reverse sexism, giving this huge sob story about how nobody wants to hire him because he's a man secretary mm -hmm. and how that's apparently super hard on him. <laughs> and then he starts mansplaining his way. He, he just mans his way in the middle of the night, showing off his secretary skills it's just creepy the whole time because he's got a fake smile he it, pageant it, smile it's he is trying so hard to be a nice guy when he doesn't really know how nice guys are so this the whole time i was watching this episode i was just playing guess his personality disorder and i couldn't i can't determine if he's a sociopath or a psychopath some people think there's a difference. Some people don't think that there's a difference. So from what I gather, psychopaths don't have a conscience, but they can kind of emulate feelings and they can, they can put on a show as to what feeling or emotion they're supposed to be having. Like um, our friend Ted Bundy. Yes. Sociopaths may have a, a little bit of a conscience as in they know what they're doing is wrong, but they don't care. And it, it looks like sociopaths almost maybe have temper, a violent temper. And I could see in some instances where he was on the verge of a violent outbreak, but then he just reeled himself back in. I would agree with you because you can see almost some kind of festering anger or resentment or something boiling beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. But he's about ready to hit somebody with his car if they look mm -hmm. at him the wrong way. He's, he's still bulldozing her and to be fair, and I think this is, I, I know she had to do it because it's in the script or it was part of the plot line, but she was too kind to him, honestly. Mm -hmm. And she hires him and, or he, he kind of hires himself and she just kind of goes along with it. What he did was smart because he, he 
brings up the fact that she wanted to hire a woman. So he's putting this mirror in front of her and saying, look, you are sexist. And she does feel bad about that. So she has to prove to herself and to everyone else that no, she's not sexist. Yeah. And she's just maybe, maybe the alarm bells that are blaring in her head are just in her imagination. And maybe she's being too old fashioned. I I can definitely see that getting, I don't know, getting accused of not being woke. I I guess she's over, over correcting in this case. Yeah. So yeah. And then he makes this comment on the way out the door where I, I don't know if he is something to do with her books and apparently he hasn't read any of them and he says oh my my literary taste runs from Vonnegut to Hess he was definitely throwing some shade to the woman that just hired him on the spot so the next scene Jessica is giving her lecture it seems to be a pretty packed um, house it's kind of an amphitheater style classroom there's students everywhere paying attention I guess the point of the lecture series is to teach people how to write mystery novels and thrillers and and but she's doing something weird with voices and different characters like she's almost putting on a play well that's what at some point a bell rings to signal that's the end of class which I found so confusing because in your college did did you have bells okay we had a bell and uh, this requires a little bit of backstory because (laughs) as I have said, this college was small and we only had classes at pre-appointed times. Like we had 9am, we had Mm 10.10, we had uh, one o'clock and then we had 2.20. So what we had was a bell in the main hall that would ring at each of those times and 10 minutes before. So there's a 10 minute bell and then there's the bell to start class. Wow. Okay. Well, Uh, I I thought that this was very unusual, but I guess not. But it was a fancy bell in a bell tower, Hunchback of Notre Dame bell. So not a buzzer in high school. And fun fact, when we turned in our senior essays, we each got to ring the bell. So there was a, picture of me somewhere ringing a bell which means I push a button so it's not that interesting but like whatever I still got to ring a goddamn bell so (laughs) when I graduated from my master's program at the University of Georgia there's a some kind of big celebratory bell that all the graduates get to ring and so there's also a picture of me ringing a bell but this is a huge bell so I am actually holding on to this big rope and I'm being lifted off the ground (laughs) As, well, as the bell is swinging up after she's done lecturing this uh guy in a corduroy blazer who i've nicknamed professor corduroy no you didn't because so did i <laughs> okay not to be confused with corduroy gentleman from birds of a feather that's no. somebody different yeah different guy so professor corduroy is in the english department and he says both he and his wife are fans of jessica fletcher and meanwhile across the classroom some blonde co-ed is i fucking the shit out of him she is literally undressing him in the room and jessica picks up on it of course so they walk out they end up walking out of the lecture hall with he has his arm around her shoulder 
mm-hmm. in front of other students. Jess knows I fuck lady is not Corduroy's wife. And he like <laughs> make she says something to, to Dr. Edmund about it. And he just kind of shrugs it off. He's like, oh, who? Who's what? Who's on first? Like, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. <laughs> and apparently, like, everybody's boning the, the students. It's totally fine. It's the 80s. Nothing's <laughs> wrong with that. Dr. Edmund shows up at the end of her class to tell her she did a good job and then to ditch her because he has a fancy, important, like, fancy person lunch that she's mm-hmm. not invited to. So that's the end of that scene. So the next scene, we're back at Jess's hotel room and Jess comes in the door and there's creepy David. So in my notes, I start referring him to creepy David and then it just goes to creeper. So the Ted Bundy looking motherfucker is just creeper. I just had at some point, he looks like a blonde Rob Lowe, but like a mask, like a plastic mask of a blonde Rob Lowe. Yeah, almost like one of those wax museum figures exactly (laughs) so creepy he's sitting on the couch reading the corpse danced at midnight and jessica makes a comment oh at 550 an hour your reading habits are quite expensive and i want to put this in perspective so in 2006 when i was in college i was working retail I made seven twenty-five an hour. He's making five fifty an hour in nineteen eighty-four. Do you know what five fifty in nineteen eighty-four equates to in today's money? I do not. Fourteen dollars and fourteen cents. We here at Murder She Woke fully support raising the minimum wage in this country to $15 an hour minimum. I would go for more, but I'm not greedy. But it also minimum wage in 1984 was $3.35 per hour. So Mm. she was paying him close to double minimum wage, which for, I don't know what secretarial work went for back then, but she was generous. Yep. So you're the money person. I will yeah. defer to you on all of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's just keep minimum wage consistent with annual inflation. How about that? He gets up off the couch and suggests that they go to dinner and just kind of laughs and says, oh, I don't think I can handle pizza and beer. So he so he suggests the Chateaubriand for two. And Jess says, oh, well, are you sure can, you can afford it? And he says, no, but you can. Ha 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 ha. And let me just be clear. I have no problem with when people are out on dates, when either men and women are out on dates, when women and women, men and men, it doesn't matter. Uh, splitting the check or the woman paying for the meal, or it doesn't matter to me. But to invite yourself on a seemingly expensive French date for someone else to pay, that's just fucking rude. They're at this fancy restaurant and they're talking and he starts like macking on mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell at first. And it seemed like he was just kind of being like a kiss ass or like, you know, how some people just try to charm the pants off everybody they meet for fun. But then he goes in on like hard and he like, he like tries to hold her hand. Not tries. He does. He grabs her hand. And he goes on this weird speech about how he likes mature women. And I I guess women his age are not smart enough or cultured enough for him or something. Yeah, they're bubble headed. Oh my God. First of all, 
shut the fuck up. You can be <laughs> bubble-headed at any age, for the record. <laughs> and she, I guess, tries to be kind to him. And then he's just, I guess she tries to let him down gently. But like, it's a weird scene because there isn't much to it except him macking on her. Yeah. And so the check comes and he grabs it, but then just grabs it from his hand. So I'm like, "Mm, did he really grab it though? And she insists on paying and she says something to the effect of like starving grad students shouldn't have to pay for dinner. And he says, I never said I was starving. And then there's this like creepy dead smile on his face. I assume he goes out and meets rich older ladies because we find out later when they're either on their way back to the next scene, which is Mm -hmm. basically the same scene is like they're back at the hotel. They're in the lobby. And apparently he has a super nice car, which I have nicknamed sweet ride slash substitute for personality. (laughs) And uh, she's talking about justice talking about like how nice his car is. And Mm -hmm. he even says when she says that's a very nice car, he says that's reflection of the man. And then again, (laughs) like creepy dead smile. We're, they're in the lobby and suddenly out of nowhere this detective whose name is lieutenant andrews comes up to creeper and asks him to come with him because a mature lady by the name of allison Prevard was murdered and apparently uh creeper dave dave the creeper is a suspect or is a person of interest or for for whatever reason they need to question him they go down to police headquarters and the next scene is it's dark they're outside police headquarters and apparently they've been there for two hours and jessica's there was she there the whole time i think so oh god i hope not because he comes out and and tries to do that that thing of like don't look at the don't look at the something over here like mm-hmm. he tries to just destroy oh it's routine they were just talking to everybody who knew her she's like two hours is not routine <laughs> and they get in his car but then it appears that they're being followed the next mini scene is daylight police headquarters jessica's looking for lieutenant andrew she ambushes him coming out of a restaurant coffee shop whatever and she accuses him of spying on creeper dude and lieutenant andrews who i think is the prickliest detective that we've met thus far and and you could correct me if i'm wrong because he just seems like he's like way focused on creeper he's kind of a dick to jessica and he says to her something to the effect of oh i understand like he's a handsome young man and it must be flattering for a woman of your age mm-hmm. and like i get it i get it and i'm like excuse mm-hmm. me mister but she can get any like handsome widowed or single gentleman of a certain age in this whole country. So shut up. Well, what what I thought was very interesting about this episode is so there's, and we'll see, there's lots of the cougar relationships with older men and younger women. Mm-hmm. But then when there's this implication that an older woman and a younger man might be together, 
well, that's just preposterous. And he's only, he's only in it for the money. Oh yeah. Because like when women hit a certain age, like past their childbearing years, they basically dry up and become useless Mm -hmm. and should be grateful for anything they get, which is still a myth that persists to this day. So well, in this scene also, when he, the lieutenant is implying that Jessica and Creeper may be in a relationship. He also tells her that the victim, Allison Brevard and Creeper were seeing each other. And he, he says, oh, no, I don't think you understand what I mean when they're seeing each other. So there's this, again, this implication that they had perhaps a sexual relationship, if not some kind of intimate relationship. And she has given him money. She's given him the car. She's his sugar mama. Yeah. Which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I understand why it would theoretically make him a suspect. Oh no. But if he's not like in the will or anything, like he just killed his golden goose. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. I even thought about that. Like what would what would his motive be? Okay, well maybe she threatened or maybe she she broke things off. But killing her, there's no financial gain for killing yeah. her. And uh, again, it's if he's not a, like, it's not like he's a dog and he inherits fifteen million dollars <laughs> under a will. I mean, if he's a sociopath, maybe he did. He does have this this violent anger streak, but I think that motive is pretty weak. We haven't seen the investigation up up until this point, but it seems like he's fixating. She thinks unfairly on David Tolliver, and again, I'm not sure why she's on his side i don't think that he deserves the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. that she is giving him especially in the next scene because we go back to jessica's hotel again jessica comes in she goes to her desk she starts to make a phone call and then she notices that one of the latches on her briefcase is open and some you know papers are kind of poking out of her briefcase she's finds this unusual. So she goes over to her briefcase. And then about that time, Creeper walks in out of nowhere and says just very nonchalantly, oh, hey, I heard you come in. What's going on? And she's obviously shocked and surprised because she thought she was alone in her hotel. And then there's freaking Creeper coming out of nowhere. And (laughs) she asks him, like, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I was just putting in my contacts. Like, that's not exactly what she was asking, but that's what he offered. He, what he does in every situation is he relies on his charm to get what he wants. Oh, and he, he, what really like sticks in my craw is that he like does it in this kind of bewildered, innocent first day on earth thing. (laughs) You were just being like evasive, phony. Oh yeah. He starts the gaslighting like so hard here. Because you can tell that she is upset and put off by the situation. And so she says they should just skip work for today. And then he just like gets in like this kind of accusatory tone and says, oh, of course, you've been talking to the police. Like she wasn't supposed to talk to the police. How dare she? Well, and then Uh, like kind of tells the story of his relationship with Allison Brevard, basically explaining that she hit his car and she was I guess on probation or something and didn't want there to be a record of an accident so she just wrote him a check for a new car and then she gave him some money here and there and they went out to dinner once or twice but it wasn't that big of a deal 
and the police are, are making it sound like mm-hmm. it's whatever. So he's like definitely trying to like downplay it and pretend like that. And, and I don't know, that might have been the truth. I don't know. But mm-hmm. whatever he said, he sounded like it's, it's I just assume everything he says is a lie. And it seems odd if the relationship is as he is describing that she would have pictures of him Unless displayed she was, like, obsessed in her house with him. Yeah, I could see that. But like, she doesn't strike me as the type. She seems like she could just go out and get another guy. Yeah. <laughs> like with her money. I think we're supposed to hate him. I think so. But like, and I don't know if this is like an accident or just a credit to the mm-hmm. actor, but he does it in such a way that I can't tell. Yeah. Like, I hate him, but I don't know if I'm supposed to yeah. because I'm like, well, he could just be a shitty person or maybe it's that, that prejudice thing mm-hmm. that he brought up. Or, oh my God. He's holding up a mirror to me and my prejudices <laughs> about <right. laughs> shitty men on Tinder who, or uh, whatever. I don't know. She's kind of questioning him and he's got an answer for everything. And then she even at the end of it, she's like, still, we should skip for today. And then there's like for a brief second, it's almost like the facade like escapes him and you see like the real him on his face. And then he must realize what he's doing because then he does the fake smile again. Yeah. He's just like, oh no, the mask is slipping. Gotta, gotta put it back on real quick. And then she says like, she's not sure she'll give him a call tomorrow. And he says, you'll call me. And she's like, yes, I guess he's trying to prove that he's learned his lesson and he's only going to come if he's been asked. And I'm like, oh, good job. Bare minimum (laughs) way to go. And then she says, never let yourself in like that again. I don't know about you. But if Jessica Fletcher said that to me, I'd probably shit my pants. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, we, we all know how sweet and kind and polite Jessica is. But again, with the cutting so quick and so hard, like it was like, sh- I don't know, shrill is not the right word, but it was like, it was cold. After Jess has this confrontation, I would call it with a uh, creeper and kicks him out of the kicks him out of her hotel room. We find her back in Dr. Edmund's office and they're having a talk about Creeper and Dr. Edmund believes that he killed Alison Brevard and he's, he's pretty adamant. And while they're talking, Creeper kind of ambushes them and shows up, I guess, in Dr. Edmund's office to apologize to Jess. He's like super earnest and his eyes get real wide and he doesn't understand like how we offended her. And and we've gotten this before from her and she's generally right that she has this kind of sixth sense, I guess, about who's a killer or not, though she doesn't completely redeem him. She still, she knows he's not a killer And I don't know if she is determined to prove it, but we're supposed to know that she still believes in him to some degree. Right. But I'm a little confused by kind of the discretion that she's exercising with him because she does admit that she believes he is a con man and a liar. But she continues to associate with him and continues to give him the benefit of the doubt. 
Well, I was thinking about that too. And, and I have competing theories and they might even be like simultaneous theories. She might be like, this guy sucks, but it still would be wrong for him to go down for murder. So it is incumbent upon me as a decent human being to help him. Or he's just really good at typing and <laughs> she just doesn't want to lose that. And so she's just like, yeah, well, I mean, have you ever had a situation where like somebody's just a really shitty person, but they're so good at what they do that you kind of put up with it? Yes, I I agree with your first theory that just because he's a con man and a liar doesn't make him a killer. I do agree with that. But there is probably a plethora of grad students that are equally as impressive at typing and dictation. So if it were me, I would not to want, I would not want to swim with the sharks here. I would not want to get close. I would not try to continually keep, you know, an arm's length away from this guy when she I know thinks she can redeem him. That's also a theme sometimes we see is in like art and literature is people thinking that maybe if I show this guy the error of his ways, he'll stop being a scumbag. But that doesn't work too often. From this point on, it isn't even, it's not like it's her choice. She kind of gets dragged into this a little deeper than maybe she intentionally or she originally anticipated. The next scene is a shot of a bar. It's called the Elmas. Elmas. Uh, what's that? Elmas. Thelma oh, Elmas. Oh my God, not the Elmas, Thelmas. <laughs> but there's a, a lady in a pink tube top. I, I call her tube top lady. Uh, she's using a payphone. I think it's the same blonde lady that was with Professor Corduroy in a few scenes earlier. But she's talking to Jess on the phone and saying she, that she's a friend of Creeper's and that she can prove that Creeper is innocent. She won't give her name, but she she insists that they have to meet. And she says they have to meet by the abandoned docks at 10 p.m. that night. She specifies an abandoned warehouse. Oh, okay. which With just being new in town, I'm not sure how she knew which abandoned warehouse because the directions seem vague. But ultimately, spoiler, she finds the right abandoned warehouse. <laughs> and when... When Tube Top hangs up the phone, she like turns around and she runs into her soon-to-be ex-husband. And they argue a little bit, but then he kind of grovels and says that he wants her back and he wants to work things out. But it's she makes it clear to him that she's not interested in being with him any longer. And she walks past him and then sits down with a different gentleman, not not Corduroy, not Professor Corduroy. Not Creeper, but some other guy. Yeah, that confused me for the simple fact that wouldn't the guy she just sat down with kind of not want to be caught up in that situation? Because I'm sure like, it looks like they made a scene and mm -hmm. then she just sits down with this guy, like nothing happened. I'm like, I was kind I of surprised that the guy she was with didn't come to her defense when her ex-husband was kind of manhandling her a little bit because he grabbed her arm and she she was like, oh, you're hurting me. Let go of me. You know, at that point, I would 
would have expected someone else to step in, but okay, just... well, it's a, fir- it's a first date. Defensive others doesn't come in until at least the third date. It was surprising to me to see her just sit down with a rando after having a fight with her ex husband after being on the phone <laughs> to Jessica saying she could essentially provide an alibi for Creeper. And my first thought was, are you sure you look a little young for him? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah. She's what, in her 20s or something? Uh, And and he seems to like the the mature woman. Despite the fact that she's new in town, Jessica finds the abandoned warehouse. The taxi drops her off and she goes, she's wearing a trench coat and she goes into this warehouse And this is kind of unfolding, like I imagine the deep throat exchange happened or exchanges happened during Watergate where, you know, oh, what were their names? The reporters, God, who wrote the expose? I can't remember. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Okay. Woodward and Bernstein meeting deep throat in like parking garages and exchanging like manila envelopes full of information (laughs) she's walking up these creepy stairs they're kind of creaking and she's trying to be quiet and so in in this warehouse there's boxes everywhere tons of boxes did you notice that yeah there's like boxes like floor to ceiling boxes and for an abandoned warehouse the lights are on yeah (laughs) which Um, i was surprised by Maybe it's an abandoned box warehouse. Because it doesn't look like anything was in those boxes. No, it doesn't. All of a sudden, Tube Top Lady comes stumbling out of some of the boxes. Like There were two columns of boxes, and Tube Top Lady comes stumbling out in between them. And she falls over like on her face, and you can see there's a knife sticking out of her back. And... Jessica runs toward Tube Top Lady. I don't know about you, but if that were me, I'm getting the hell out of getting the hell out of there as quick as I can. Do we learn her name at this point? Because her name is Lila, and I think we, no, we learned it in the last scene. I think her soon-to-be ex yells it at her. So yeah, just I mean, I like Tube Top Lady, but I think Lila was her real name. So I don't know why <laughs> I feel like that was important for us to tell you. <laughs> That is her name, or was, yes. now she's dead. R.I.P. Lila Tube Top Lady. R.S.V.P. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Andrews is either the only police officer in Seattle, or he especially got called to the scene. I don't know why he ends up there, as opposed to one of many other of Seattle's finest. He's at this crime scene, and... He's talking to Jess and he's extremely skeptical of the story that she just got this random ass call from the stranger wanting to meet her in an abandoned warehouse. And Jess makes the point that Creeper wouldn't kill his own alibi to which Lieutenant Andrews makes a counterpoint that maybe she wasn't actually an alibi but she was made to look like one so he killed her before she could not be his alibi it kind of made sense but also Mm -hmm. it was basically like just saying yes but the opposite (laughs) right it's it's my favorite yes but defense it's like whatever the one person says yes but 
I, I think the reason why you aren't agreeing with me is because I didn't explain it enough. So I'm going to explain it again. And this time you'll agree with me because I'm right. Because that is how people, specifically dudes on the internet, argue. <laughs> right, right. So when Jessica and Lieutenant Andrews are talking, another police officer comes up and says that they've pulled the security footage from Creeper's apartment and it shows that he's been there all night, that he hasn't left. And then I thought, well, okay, why couldn't they use the security footage to determine if he was in his apartment when Allison Brevard died? Because he said he was at home all night studying alone. So I don't know why they couldn't just pull up the same security footage. Maybe they thought he went all cat burglar because Lieutenant Andrews seems determined to pin whatever on Creeper, which I totally understand because you look at the guy and you're like, if you haven't done this, you've probably done something like, so they, they say when they're back at police headquarters that Creeper explains that he's been seeing Lila and that or tube top lady and her ex is jealous and mean. So it was probably him that murdered Lila and not him. To which I still keep saying, bro, she's not your type. Nobody believes that you're seeing her. Yeah, that's true. No one did believe that. We are back to Dr. Edmund's office where Jess is having a talk where she confronts Amelia about being in love with Dr. Edmund and tries to assure her that she, Jessica Fletcher, is not competition for Edmund, Dr. Edmund's affections. And Amelia does that whole, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. But Jess is like, nah, like you can see it from a mile away. Jessica communicates in this office that she still thinks that Creeper is innocent. It's again, it's a really weird short scene that only that only seemed to exist to reiterate the idea that Amelia is it's like dragging Amelia back mm -hmm. in as a character so yeah I don't, I don't know it was it was weird yeah and the next scene is pretty weird too so we're at some kind of gym and tube top lady's ex-husband is swimming he's like doing laps and Jessica is there waiting for him when he gets out of the pool Jessica kind of get out of the pool. She starts like <laughs> ambushing him with questions while he's still in the pool. But basically the point of this scene is Jessica's trying to find out who tube top lady is having relationships with. And the ex-husband comes out and, and says he wasn't concerned about creeper. They weren't an item they nothing was going on between them he refers to creeper as pretty boy that smiles a lot which is I, I pretty mean, that's accurate. Yeah. yeah but but pretty boy wasn't the problem jessica asks about professor corduroy and the ex-husband doesn't really answer just kind of says you know you ask a lot of questions but apparently she is late for her lecture mm -hmm. so she has to skedaddle and again, this scene was super short and whatever like gym they were in, there was some guy in like Daisy Dukes, like on an exercise bike, mm -hmm. like in the background, it, it's like they didn't have much of a budget. So they're just like, all right, make this look like a gym. You have 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, did you notice the treadmill 
oh gosh that was my southern accent tread okay. treadmill that that guy was on i didn't notice the treadmill i thought it was an exercise bike or maybe again i misremembering there was so there was a guy in the background that was on an exercise bike but when the ex-husband gets out of the pool he goes onto the treadmill it was just like all metal and nuts and bolts and i'm pretty sure it probably had two speeds fast and slow <laughs> It's probably one of those things that like, if you cut yourself on it, you have to get a tetanus shot. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Or like, you know how like playground equipment in the eighties used to be like just rusted out metal. <laughs> Shards of glass to break your fall. <laughs> anyway, Jessica gets back and she is using the class, the this lecture class as free labor to solve the case which I thought was pretty clever. Mm -hmm. And she says, essentially, let's pretend to be a murderer. And she starts asking all these really specific questions and getting the class, who apparently is made up of very stupid people, <laughs> to answer her questions. And then she starts asking Professor Corduroy, who is sitting in like the second row, like he's a student, wearing the same freaking corduroy jacket or a carbon copy of the same one he was wearing before. She starts asking him questions about his alibi. And they're doing this weird little thing where they're like talking in code to one another. Like they both know about mm -hmm. like what they're talking about, but supposedly the class doesn't know. So Jess through code and asks him about his alibi and he says well wouldn't this hypothetical person wouldn't his wife be able to alibi him and she's like wouldn't hypothetical person's wife lie for him and whether he had an alibi and the scene kind of ends without any kind of resolution it was just extra confusing so yeah it was a bit unusual but it was really creative on jessica's part to use the lecture to pose these hypothetical questions to someone she considers a suspect in the case. So she's asking very pointed, direct, quote unquote, hypothetical questions that are very relevant to the case. And what we learn kind of is that dude, the, the Professor Corduroy says he has an alibi, but possibly maybe perhaps hypothetically his wife would lie for him back at her hotel just finds a note from supposedly from creeper saying that professor corduroy had called and wanted to see jessica in his office at nine o'clock or rather not that professor corduroy called but that professor corduroy wanted to see her in his office at nine she goes to see him and she's skulking around another dark abandoned building. <laughs> she thinks she's got this in hand because she has Mace now. But what is important is that Mace can't stop Peter Pan's shadow. Oh my which is God. Apparently <laughs> yes. following her around the building. Yeah. So as she's creeping up these stairs, I mean, it's like, like you said, it's all dark and she's going up these stairs and she gets to like, a landing and then someone who is undoubtedly wearing pantyhose over their face because you can see it like bunched up at the top pushes oh jessica down the stairs 
And so she's rumbling and tumbling down the stairs and she lands. And then here comes the, the mace just hitting every stair on the way down. <laughs> doop, 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 doop. I mean, at least that the mace was safe, even if it wasn't very useful. She can and use it next time. She's going in and out of consciousness. And then, of course, Creeper shows up. Creeper to the rescue. Of course, because why wouldn't he be there? And uh, she's off in an ambulance to the hospital. She gets to the hospital. The doctors are talking to her and she sounds drunk. She's slurring her words and her speech is very slow. And then Dr. Edmund comes in to check on her and again accuses Creeper of doing these killings, killing Alison Brevard and Tube Top Lady. And Creeper says, I'm, you know, I didn't do it. I'm not lying. I told you I was with Tube Top Lady. And Dr. Edmund says, no, I know you're lying because I was with Tube Top Lady on the night that Allison Brevard died. Dun, dun, dun. The next scene is where Jess and Dr. Edmund are dining El Fresco. And you can see the Space Needle in the background just to remind everybody that we're in Seattle in case that anybody forgot in the intervening like 15 years that this episode has taken up until this point. And we're, they're talking an exposition and apparently Lieutenant Andrews found out somehow that uh, Creeper had either paid Lila for an alibi or got her to do him a favor or something. Right. Um, and so we find this out because Lieutenant Andrews and Dr. Edmund, even though Dr. Edmund and Jessica are having breakfast at a restaurant al fresco, somehow Lieutenant Andrews found out where Dr. Edmund is and called the restaurant. While they're talking, the check comes and Dr. Edmund puts his credit card down and it, it's called like, it's supposed to be like a master card. It's like called master bank or something. Mm -hmm. but it, it reminded me of one of those fake credit cards you got in a mall madness game. Oh you remember yeah. That game? Yeah. Yeah. So he pays for the check with his mall madness credit card and just looks at it for a moment. And it just kind of focuses on the credit card for a second. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is like quite the Jay Fletch aha moment, but something the, the wheels start to turn a little bit when she sees this credit card they're talking about dr edmund and lila's supposed relationship and apparently i was you know after dr edmund's wife died you know he was looking for comfort blah 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 same old story and they would do all their sex having or what have you off campus at some place called the Lumberjack Inn, which was apparently some kind of motel off the interstate or something. Mm. Dr. Edmund explains the night of the Allison Brevard murder, Lila and Dr. Edmund were driving back from their sex hotel and they were almost run off the road by a car. And they said they didn't know who it was. He still hates Creeper and still thinks he does it. So that's like another piece of this puzzle, except the puzzle, instead of having the puzzle pieces kind of fall into place, it's like they dumped out the entire puzzle <laughs> box and said, good luck. And, and another important little detail is that the car that ran them off the road, it was acting crazy, was a dark colored sedan, possibly dark blue sedan. 
The next scene is Jessica doing more snooping around Professor Corduroy, who is still wearing the fucking corduroy jacket. <laughs> it's one of those things where like he keeps it in his office as like his professor uniform. Yeah, it could be. I had a professor in college. He was a lawyer. And so he taught like a lot of the criminal law classes, constitutional law classes, but he had a pocket constitution that he wore in his, like the front pocket of his shirt every single day. And it was adorable. Oh, that's so cute. But Mm -hmm. you know what's different from him and people who carry around pocket constitutions these days? He knows what the constitution actually says correct yes he did not go to the university of facebook law no no so back at the university jessica is going to visit professor corduroy she's noticeably injured she's kind of limping down the stairs and professor corduroy says oh my god jessica i'm so sorry this happened to you but please know i never called to you know to have a meeting set up for last night that wasn't me and jessica agrees she she doesn't believe it's him i think she because she said yeah that would have been incredibly stupid of you and professor corduroy tells jessica that after their little kind of tap dance that they had during her lecture yesterday he got to thinking and he felt really bad so he went home and he told his wife everything he told her about the affair he came clean good news she forgave him right away they're gonna go off on a vacation next week and then you know forget all about it she finds out that professor corduroy and his wife drive a yellow station wagon and she does it in the very jessica fletcher fashion of i would say lying to kind of or even playing dumb by saying oh that was your car that someone nicked Mm -hmm. and she she leads it up to the other person to correct her lieutenant andrews has released creeper from custody for allison brevard's murder because some burglar some random ass third person burglar like was caught and then on another crime or something and then confessed to this one i guess for whatever reason creeper is off the hook for that this was a complete red herring it had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with anybody we're back at jessica's hotel and once again creeper has let himself in she jessica confronts him and says i told you don't don't let yourself in like that again. And he says, I guess I forgot. So I used to use that defense when I was like eight and nine years old. And I was watching TV when I knew I wasn't supposed to be because I was grounded. And Mm -hmm. I would say, oh, I forgot I was grounded. Like nobody believes that you forgot. Come you got to think of something a little bit better. He is really, really, really counting on his charm to get him out of this one. Right. I I feel like he he spent his whole life doing that. And I guess it's worked so far Mm -hmm. because she looks like white hot angry at him. Yeah. Which she has every right to be. And the rules just do not apply to him. No, because he's a white man in America. Hmm. Rules are for other people. Creeper asks Jessica for forgiveness. And Jessica says, for what? For lying, for bribing that girl to lie for you, or for pushing me down the stairs. And Creeper says that 
he did ask tube top lady to meet with Jessica. So Jessica wouldn't have any doubts about him. I mean, you're just now you're just saying you're lying to prove that you're not a liar. I can see a little bit of logic in that, but still like he could have done a little bit of a better job, found somebody who wasn't doing something that night or somebody that he would actually be hanging out with. And I just feel that if you have to, if you have to bring someone to someone in to lie, for your good character, you probably don't have good character. Well, she wasn't really lying about his good character. She was just giving him an alibi that he didn't have. So she's not saying he's a good person. She just yeah. said he was with me when he was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I, I, I don't purport to know what it would be like to be falsely accused of murder. But like, I imagine the thought of like alibi that would go through my head. They talk about the message that he supposedly took from uh, Professor from Professor Corduroy, and he r says that the message sounded muffled, that it was forced, and he actually couldn't identify whether the person on the other line is was a male or a female. We don't get that aha moment, though, unless I'm missing something. No, I mean, I guess the closest we got was when Jessica saw Dr. Edmonds' MasterCard. And she definitely started putting some things together then. But she, she kind of did put some things together again when she and Creeper were talking about the phone call because Creeper couldn't, after some, some pushing on Jessica's part, really couldn't describe the voice as male or female. It was whispered and hushed and muffled and forced. So I think that's kind of when she put it together. After that happens, we go to the next scene and Jessica had... Conf confronting Amelia who is back again who Amelia has been in like every like fourth or fifth scene in this thing because like all the scenes are like three minutes long uh -huh. and, and like extremely disconcerting so I forget that she exists and then she shows up again and I'm like oh yeah Amelia but Jess starts playing dumb and she tells Amelia that Dr. Edmund is going to be arrested for Lila's murder, that she he was having an affair with Lila and something went south. She tells Amelia that Dr. Edmund is going to be arrested for Tube Top Lady's death and really the only evidence, she didn't say the only evidence, but it was because he doesn't have an alibi for that night. And, and Amelia starts to get hysterical and... Well, then she was, tries to pretend that she didn't car. know about, about Lila. Jessica tells her about the affair and Amelia acts like she had no idea about the affair. Mm -hmm. But Jessica says, oh, I'm sure you did. You saw, you paid his credit card bills. You saw he was meeting someone at the Lumberjack Inn. And then she says something about the car. She says that, Dr. Edmund's dark blue sedan was seen at the warehouse when Tube Top Lady was killed. And Amelia says, well, that's ridiculous. There's a thousand dark blue sedans in this city. I have a dark blue sedan. Oh. And that was the dark blue sedan that ran Dr. Edmund and Tube Top Lady off the road that one night when they were coming back from the Lumberjack Inn. So it's at that point that, again... 
like literally stop fucking confessing people yeah she just spills the beans exposition city she tried to scare off Jess by pushing her down the stairs at night in the university and she, she killed Lila out of jealousy, the oldest motive in the book. Dr. Edmund just kind of shows up while she's confessing and she just kind of like implodes. I've always thought, and this is pretty dark, but like if you really hate someone and you want to hurt them, you don't kill them. You hurt or kill the person they most love oh i don't think that she had that in mind i think she was just killing lila to eliminate her as a rival Mm -hmm. or a purported rival or just like but yeah no i get that and also remind me never to piss you off right um (laughs) jokes on you i don't love anybody just just don't tell me who you love the most she happened was she trying to pin it on creeper this where everything makes sense doesn't make sense who am i kidding none of this made sense (laughs) but like so she never set out she she never set out to murder tube top lady so she was at the warehouse that night because and this really didn't make sense amelia said that she was going to confront tube top lady confront her about what i don't know Tube Top Lady and Dr. Edmund had every right to have an affair. Neither, well, I guess she was married, but whatever. Yeah, but she, um, they were on a break. But she, but then Amelia says she was acting weird, so I followed her to the abandoned warehouse. I don't know where Amelia saw that Tube Top Lady was acting weird or why that would make you want to follow her. I guess she did mention that she thought that uh, Tube Top Lady and Dr. Edmund were going to have like a meetup rendezvous. So she followed them. I don't know like what for. I don't know what she was going to do there. And then she was just so enraged that she murdered Tube Top Lady. But like what was the trigger? Like Jess being there? Like Tube Top Lady hanging out with nobody in an abandoned warehouse? Like... She she thought that yeah, but she like was going to meet up with Dr. Edmund. Once she got there and realized he wasn't there, or maybe she didn't realize he wasn't there. Uh, yeah, I don't think she realized he wasn't there. But the last scene is Jessica's at the airport getting, getting ready to head out to Seattle because, <laughs> Jesus, it's nothing has made sense there at all. <laughs> I think it's all the weed they smoke. And the weird hipsters. Me. Yes. But not as weird as Portland hipsters, just mm. FYI. They're all the coffee and the 5G that Bill Gates is putting out, like <laughs> it's fucking with their brains. Yes. So Jessica, either Creeper has driven her to the airport or he just followed her. No, he um, followed her because he, well, he called the hotel to see where she was. Like again, dude, gross. And he like brought her like a teddy bear. Mm hmm. Like, Who gives like a grown ass woman a teddy bear? She accepts the teddy bear and he keeps bothering her. She basically says, stop being a piece of shit and maybe you'll be successful in life, but in a nice way. (laughs) And he says, the only thing I'm guilty of is caring. And like before this, he says that he's enormously attracted to her he's just he's always been into older mature women especially when they're bright and funny and 
Especially whenever they have probably millions of dollars lying around. (laughs) She's got that corpse dance at midnight money. Here's what I love about this scene is that they're talking and Creeper says, you know, I really was enjoying the writing. Please send me a copy of the book when it's finished. And Jessica says, I'll do you one better. You might end up being a character in the book. And he says, oh, well, what will I be? Will I be the victim, the suspect, the killer? And Jessica's face is, I can't even describe it, but she says, I haven't made up my mind yet. And then Jessica walks off and Creeper's face goes from like the the fake, charismatic, charming, pretty boy's that smiles a lot to one of the most evil stares I have ever seen in my life. I had to turn the TV off because it froze on his face and it was so scary and creepy. Yeah. This is definitely a kid who like killed the neighbor's cat and his mom covered it up. He was also in the system. (laughs) He was also a bedwetter and played with fire. Yes, and he probably like had some weird like Oedipus thing too. Yeah. If this were like an episode of SVU, that would be <laughs> how all this would be going down. But yeah, so that is the end. Thank God. I have some questions. Do you think that he really did kill Allison Brevard? And do you think he really is attracted to Jessica Fletcher? The answer to that question, one, is no, but I could see him being capable of that under the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. And the second one is, I think he thinks he is. And I think that he convinced himself that he is. Because he doesn't want to admit to himself that he is an opportunist and like a gold digger. So he is kind of telling himself that he like, he just happens to like these older rich cultured ladies for their other virtues. So do you think he was sticking it to Alison Brevard? Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> really? Yep. You think they were banging? Mm-hmm. Okay. So All right. Elizabeth, yeah. did you like this episode? No, I didn't fucking like this episode because it gave me whiplash and I didn't know what was going on half the time. I didn't like any of the characters. I thought all the plots were weird and confusing. Mm -hmm. Nobody was compelling to me. I didn't feel sad when anybody died. I didn't care if they solved the murder. I wasn't even curious. I was just like, oh, it's going to be somebody. Mm, Whatever. I was not invested in this at all. Oh, see, I actually did kind of like this episode. It has a couple of my favorite things, cougars, because my wife is a cougar, and college, because college was the best time of my life. So, you know, those are a few of my favorite things. And even though I hated the character of David Tolliver, the creeper, I thought it was played very well. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like I will give him all the credit for that because he brought the creepiness to life in a way that was astounding. Yeah. And I think some of like the, his best acting was just 
a half second glimpse or a half second stare or some kind of facial expression. Like a fucking Norman Bates. Overall, I give it about six and a half ashtrays out of 10. Oh, we're using ashtrays now. That's a great rating system. I gave it three out of 10 ashtrays. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. While I respect cougars and I plan to be one someday, (laughs) I do not have enough experience with them to say to have a position and also like I really enjoy my time in college but I also have like lots of problems with Mm. college so So who are you giving the Golden Grady Award to this week I'm gonna give it to the guy on the exercise bike (laughs) in the background at the pool scene because he he's just like hanging out there while she's casually accusing this guy of murder (laughs) yeah and like the room's not that big. Like, I'm sure she can hear him. He doesn't even, he doesn't even blink. I am giving it to Dr. Edmund, who oh. I can see is, you know, Grady in 40 years. He just seems to be completely aloof, unaware, has no idea about anything. And if it, it if it's not immediately in front of him, and if it doesn't immediately involve him, it, He just doesn't know about it. So do you want to briefly discuss what we are going to be discussing next time? Uh, Whenever that is, it might be next week. It might be six months. It's not going to be six months. So the next episode, we are back in Cabot Cove. Yes. Oh, oh, and it's the driverless car. Yeah. Hit, run, and homicide. Yes. I'm just going to say something right now. I'm looking at this on IMDb. The title of the episode does not have an oxford comma after run Mm. and it is bothering me yeah like it is making me itchy yeah so essentially the synopsis here it says jessica and the police are baffled by a seemingly driverless car that suddenly appears in cabot cove and runs down a visitor who has fired local inventor dan o'brien isn't this happen like during like like a a community picnic or something yeah i mean i think it happens a few times but so this one i actually do have a little bit of a memory of that that is what we'll be discussing and our friend ethan and our friend amos tupper they will (laughs) both be back so stay tuned and see you next time and remember stay woke stay woke